Hello and welcome to the next episode of the Sustainable Director podcast. I'm your host, Ellis Hall. I'm a manager at Achilles and we help organisations build sustainable supply chains. I'm also the Institute of Directors Sustainability Ambassador for the North Yorkshire branch and this is a series for the Institute of Directors. In this series, I speak with business owners, business leaders and CEOs up and down the country to learn about the sustainability practices that they're embedding into their organisations so that I can bring you tips and tricks and practical guidance on how you can embed it into your own organisation. In this episode, I speak with Penelope Hope. Penelope is an entrepreneur. She's the co-founder of a renewable energy company with a social mission. She's more recently a founder of a new technology business, which we're going to be talking about today. In particular, we are going to be focused on women in leadership in this episode and the role that they play and why they are so critical for organizational success. So without further ado, I'm going to bring Penelope into this conversation so she can tell you more. Welcome, Penelope. How are you today? I'm really well, thank you, Ellis, and delighted to be here, of course. So thanks for having me. Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure. We've spoken many times before, but I'm really interested in this podcast in particular. And this podcast is about women in leadership. And I've had women leaders and I've really enjoyed working for women leaders and I'm incredibly inspired by them. So today we're going to talk about women in leadership. So first question to you, why do we need women in leadership? That's a a wonderful question and a great way to start. Um, I think there's three important reasons why we need women in leadership. The first, of course, is what I would call a moral obligation. Um, I think the UN articulates this beautifully in its target 5.5. I'll just read that for us because I think it sets the scene really well. That target is to ensure women's full and effective participation and equal opportunities for leadership at all levels of decision making in political, economic and public life. I think that perfectly encapsulates the, the moral obligation. I think the second most important reason is what women can bring in terms of commercial results. And this is really important for um, the listener base, um, uh, the Institute of Directors. Um, The Harvard Business Review in 2020 um, conducted an analysis of over 60,000 leaders. And they found that women scored as more effective in 84% of the competencies assessed to do with leadership. These ranged from things from initiative to resilience and honesty, really important qualities. Um, Last year, McKinsey also brought out a great report, um, which said that female managers are more likely to check on their staff's well-being, to help them manage their workload and to promote inclusive behaviour on their team. Um, The last report I'd like to cite is by the Boston Consulting Group. They've said that female business owners, even though they receive less than half of the funding, will typically generate more than 10% um, of the revenue comparatively to male business owners. So there we go. We've got highly competent leaders. uh, We've got women who are really good managers who care about their teams. And they are demonstrating that they are good stewards of capital. Um, and they, they deliver a good return on investment. So that's women's results in the commercial okay. world. The third reason 
um, and this is particularly applicable here, is that I think women increase the likelihood of organisations reaching sustainable outcomes. Yeah. Now, the reason I think that is possible is actually a, a biological reason. It's something that we're going to touch on more today. When we look at the, the qualities associated with testosterone, um, we see that this hormone embraces aggression, competitiveness, and risk-taking. Yeah. Now, those are really important qualities. If we don't have risk-taking and we don't have competitiveness, and we're not going to move the world forward, we won't get innovation, these are powerful qualities. But when we only have those qualities in the decision-making pool, within the C-suite or at board level, we'll see what I think is more of the price crashes, the tech bubbles, the financial crashes, um, where there has been excessive risk. Mm. Um, and and those, are not, those events are really, really um, detrimental to the long-term sustainability of, of our industries. So when we bring women into the mix to balance out some of that risk-taking, we see better long-term sustainable decisions. So it's about... It's about a balance then really, isn't it? Having the right people in the room and a lot of those traits come from women leaders. So if we need more women leaders in the room, why are we not getting enough women in leadership roles? That's an excellent question. It's something that scientists are calling the performance bias. Okay. So when it comes to promotion, women typically are rated on their past accomplishments, yep. whereas men will be rated on their future potential. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so it's as if the workplace almost inherently distrusts a woman's performance potential. Okay. And, and when we see fewer women getting through to leadership, um, the workplace is attributing this problem to her inferior ability. Uh, it, it's like, oh, it, it must be an ability problem with women. The workplace then, I think, tries to um, to treat that diagnosis with all sorts of expensive programs. So there's the executive coaching yeah. and there's the communication skills training yeah. and there's the women in leadership program. Um, there's the empowerment days, the conferences, the, the books, um, the networks. A, a lot of money is thrown at women to try to improve their skills and their abilities when actually I think the system doesn't quite work for them. If, if that diagnosis of of women that their their abilities are inferior were correct then we wouldn't see the stats as i've talked about in that harvard business review um and we would see the dial moving quicker and better than it has done over the past couple of decades in terms of getting more women into management um i don't think those programs are working and i think it's because we've misdiagnosed the problem okay And therefore, looking at like reflecting on what you're talking about, there's clearly a lot of bias. Men, we can see the potential of where they're going, whereas women have almost got to prove themselves in that role before they're given the chance to do that role, which doesn't really make any sense because how do they get into that role in the first place if they've got to prove themselves when they're never given the opportunity to do so? But it's clearly not their ability because you've touched on some beautiful statistics about women in leadership and and the output that that they deliver versus men. So what's the real problem? Yeah, I think it comes down to a fundamental conflict 
in the way the workplace is set up and a woman's biology. So I'll just summarise this with a lovely quote from a, a feminist author called Jay Griffiths. She says, there is a veering difference between a woman's interior clock and the exterior public clock with its strict beat. Okay. So let's dig into what I think she's referring to there. Um, when we look at the predominant hormones in, in men and women, we can see that for men, this is testosterone, we've, we've talked about that, a woman's predominant hormones are estrogen and progesterone. So testosterone resets itself on a 24-hour basis, and this is what we call a circadian clock. Um, so a man's um, hormonal rhythm will refresh itself every 24 hours, and he will be able to um, to do that ad infinitum. That, that's yeah. his biological clock for the rest of his life. Um, a woman's hormonal clock will reset itself on what is called an infradian pattern, which is a monthly clock. Yeah. And there will be all sorts of variations in um, in energy and focus across the course of that month. When I look at the workplace rhythm as it currently stands, which expects people to show up every day of the week, every week of the month, every month of the year, and to perform to the same rate and intensity on a daily basis... I would call that workplace pattern a circadian rhythm. Yeah. And I think it's benefiting men really well. Um, a, a man can thrive on that rhythm because it, it is um, fundamentally in sync with how his clock resets itself. But I think women are getting tripped up because there's moments in the month where they will have an excess of energy and there's moments in the month where they might feel quite significantly depleted and having to show up and perform in the same way day in day out is fundamentally fundamentally at loggerheads yeah. with who they are and how they function um there was a wonderful study conducted in the Netherlands that that spoke about this um it's published in the British Medical Journal it was the largest ever study um, conducted on menstrua menstruation as it relates to workplace productivity. Okay. And they looked at 32,000 women's cycles and how they perform at work. I'm just going to quote from the article here. It said, notably, 68% of the participants wish they had greater flexibility in their tasks and working hours during their periods. Okay. So across that. Five days, six days, that's really when it, and it's critical, I'm guessing. But I guess that looking at some of these things and these, you know, amazing tasks or amazing stats, should I say, at the moment, it does seem like the workforce is set up for men. You know, I, I'm coming from a place of privilege and I very much understand and I, and I don't obviously have a menstrual cycle, so I can't really... Um, I don't really understand in the same way that a female listener would understand. But if we were to move to a world that was more flexible, that took a more flexible approach to women in the workplace in general, what would that look like? How do we make a workplace suit women as well? Mm, great question. Well, I think the first thing to understand is that by by catering better to women, we are in no way going to hamper men's um, chances to thrive. A, a man can sit on that circadian clock um, and women can um, be adaptable and flexible in their own way. And, and they will have it will have no impact on on either either person. So both can succeed. 
Um, I think if we look into that circadian clock, so we've got testosterone starting to build in the bloodstream around 3 a.m. for mm. men. It surges between 6 and 8 a.m. to get a man out of bed. Um, it remains elevated in the morning, um, so a man might find he's very effective with his focus, being task-oriented, achieving, performing. It starts to decline in the afternoon, which is a great time for socialising, um, meetings, um, being more communicative. And then in the evening, as just testosterone is dropping off, that would suggest rest and relaxation. Um, so we've got quite a linear, um, straightforward pattern there for yeah. men. Women are quite a bit more complex, um, but there is such variety and, and there are brilliant ways to optimize that complexity if a woman is empowered with the awareness of how to do it. Um, so I'm going to walk through the four phases of a woman's month. Okay. Um, and I'm going to refer to it um, as the four seasons, okay. spring, summer, autumn and winter. Yeah. <laughs> so we can get this, um, this concept nice and easy. And the first phase of a woman's cycle, biologically speaking, is referred to as the follicular phase. Um, that's b about the production of follicles on the surface of the ovary. Um, it's an estrogen dominant phase. So estrogen equates to energy, okay. elevated mood and productivity. If we translate that to workplace tasks, we've got this is a great time for starting new projects um, brainstorming with colleagues, tackling challenging tasks, problem solving, seeking out new clients, researching new ideas, making big decisions. The yeah. focus is great in this phase. In the summer phase, which is ovulation, um, the release of an egg from the ovary, um, estrogen is peaking and a luteinizing hormone is coming in. This is great for being energetic, okay. extroverted, and a woman has her peak communicative abilities. Yeah. So as we translate that to the workplace, um, this is a great time for women to have important conversations, ask for a raise or a promotion, go on interviews, um, negotiate deals, um, give talks or presentations, entertain clients and colleagues, spend time in groups, go to networking. It's a time when she can effort effortlessly put in the extra hours if she wants to do so. Yeah, makes sense. The next phase, autumn, is the, um, the biological luteal phase. Um, it's about the, the, the formation of the corpus luteum in the uterus. And estrogen's dropped off and progesterone is taking over. Um, with progesterone in control, women will experience a decrease in aerobic capacity. They'll tire quicker and the metabolism will peak. They might feel more um, hungry. This translates to a sort of incoming, more introverted energy. So as we translate that to workplace tasks, this is a good time for administration, yeah. organizing paperwork, um, attending to financial reporting, filing expense accounts, um, helping other members of the team meet their deadlines, organizing computer files, looking at important documents and contracts, for instance. Yeah, detailed as well, focused on organizational aspects, which again, makes sense. And all of these things that you're talking are all really important. And I know that we're missing one season, so winter. Absolutely, winter. Winter is the menstrual phase. Um, now progesterone has also dropped off. So we're looking at a hormonal trough. Um, with that comes um, 
a, a need for rest and and a, at a more gentle pace it's a very quiet very introverted energy this is a good time for zoom calls as opposed to eight meetings a day at a conference yeah. okay. <laughs> um it's a great time for evaluating the past month noticing those infradian patterns questioning the direction of the team or department analyzing project data and reports assessing career goals listening to gut instincts and of course taking frequent breaks and attending to oneself care so there we go we've got four seasons and they translate to four quite different energy patterns yeah. all of which um can be associated with important um workplace productivity they're all critical things that need to be done in any organization at any point it's not taking away from you know the fact that you're just not compartmentalizing but you're increasing your productivity around certain tasks within a month and obviously this happens over a 28 day period these four seasons and i just have one quick question for you on those seasons in particular are those seasons weekly or are they different time frames is one three days and one might be 10 days how do they work from that perspective are they all equal in terms of each one is is seven days or is it a bit more of a blend it's a really good question um the longest season is actually autumn okay the shortest season is um summer but that's yeah. a that's a very intense season so a lot can get done yeah um it will also vary woman to woman um, so remember, some women might have quite short menstrual cycles. Some women might have longer, and and the the key here really is to um, create a culture in which women can optimize their productivity based on their own personal pattern. Okay, that makes complete sense, and really understanding that. And do women understand these patterns? Is this spoken about enough? Largely speaking, Ellis, no. Okay. Um, this isn't. I think some of the basic tenets of um, of the female body and, and the power of the menstrual cycle, if leveraged correctly, are just not taught. It, it's not yeah. on the national curriculum. Um, I certainly had to really dig around to to learn about my own cycle and, and, and read a lot. Um, and the, the vast majority of women I speak to are themselves unaware ab- about what I've just said. So there's a big education piece to happen here of course. and a huge benefit that could arise if we were to do that. Okay, so there's obviously a lot of work and this is really interesting and my mind's going at a million miles an hour thinking about various things and, and the benefit it could have to an organisation. So I'm thinking about the benefit. What is it currently costing? What is this issue potentially costing organizations at the moment because we're not necessarily aligned to to women's cycles? Yeah, that's great. So so at the moment, women are fundamentally at odds with the circadian clock. Um, it, it's unsurprising to me then um, that, that there are quite serious um, workplace problems that arise. I, I'm going to summarize the top four that okay. I think are really costing organizations. The first and most obvious one is burnout. And burnout leads to workplace attrition. So going back to that McKinsey report, 43% of women leaders are burned out. 29% of women have thought about reducing their hours taking a less demanding job or leaving the workforce altogether. Okay. Now, you and I know that when a woman leads, leaves an organisation, particularly if she's at a senior level, um, a lot has been invested into her career. She's probably at her most um, 
suitable in terms of her applicability and understanding of that organisation. And and when someone leaves, it's disrupting for the remaining staff. It's not good for the continuity of business and indeed its clientele. So that first issue is burnout. The second issue, and this will be this will relate to anyone listening who works for a corporate that provides a private healthcare plan. Yeah. Um, the Washington Post recorded in 2019 that issues relating to women's well-being are costing roughly $1,200 per female employee per year in annual medical costs. Wow. So what this tells me is that. If women's menstrual needs are better managed and better catered to, the financial burden to a corporate via the health insurance provider is less. Yeah. So financial benefit straight away. Immediately. Or should we say cost at the moment? Absolutely. The third is productivity. So going back to that same um, study in the Netherlands of 32,000 women, um, 80% of women in that study reported decreased productivity on the first two days of their period. Yeah, they're they're showing up, um, trying to be present, um, and their focus isn't at its best. That that lost productivity, I think, equates to about 3.5% of a woman's salary. Yeah. Okay. So there's a gap here that that we need to make up. What we've got to understand is that this... This conflict in the rhythm is not only to the detriment of women's health, but it's also to the detriment of the organization's profitability. And whatever we do to prioritize and support women is going to be supporting the commerciality of our businesses. Of course. The last reason, the the last area where it's affecting, um, it's costing organizations is, of course, absenteeism. Yeah. So in that same study, 14% of women are completely absent during their periods. They're experiencing um, uh, pain um, or discomfort to the degree that they, they cannot even get to the desk. Sadly, um, of those women who call in sick during their periods, only 20% have the courage to tell their employer that their absence is because they're on their period. Right, okay. So there's obviously an issue there of not necessarily communication, but confidence in Mm. women that will their leader, whoever that is, listen to them, whether it's a female leader or a male leader. So why, why do women not feel confident in speaking up and being truthful about why they're, they're not at work? Yeah, that's that's the moot point. I'd love to share an anecdote from my own career. Okay. Um, so when I was 22 years old, I um, I was hired to the graduate program at Goldman Sachs. Yeah. Um, it's something I'd worked really hard for, and um, it's obviously very competitive, as you can imagine. Um, I'm someone who's always enjoyed a fairly regular cycle of about 30 days, um, and have been able to rely on that. Um, about six months into the job, um, and I was working between 14 to 16 hours most days um, in very intense working conditions, I started noticing that my cycle was getting longer um, and a 30-day cycle was turning into a 60-day cycle. So I was skipping, I was constantly skipping periods. One of my yeah. ovaries wasn't firing at all. And I... I went as long as I could 
um, to see if I could sort of stabilize my system. But, you know, I was under incredible stress, um, like so many um, women um, in, in corporate roles, in teams that are often understaffed and sometimes poorly managed. And I, as someone who's known that they've always wanted to have a chance of a family, mm. my fertility is really important to me. Um, so before even the two years of that graduate program was up, I handed in my notice. I felt really burned out and tired and I didn't want to risk my long-term um, fertile health. Yeah. Um, very quickly after coming out of the job, um, my periods stabilized and reset themselves and I was back on a 30-day cycle. So while it was really devastating to me um, to walk out of a career that I'd worked so hard to get to, um, I don't regret my decision. Yeah. What I didn't do was take my Excel spreadsheet of my skipped periods into my heads of department to show them the impact it was having on my health. And I think that's really sad. I don't think it would have necessarily um, changed anything, but it would have at least made them aware. The reason I didn't do that is because I thought I was weak. Yeah. I thought, oh, a stronger woman in my position would not have this impact to her periods. And that's not true at all. My body was responding in an intelligent and logical way to the stress that I was under. Yeah. And I took a good decision to look after my health a lot of women, and these are in my conversations um, with them, they don't either heed the signs um, or they're in denial um, or they just push through and they create for themselves long-term irreversible fertility issues because yeah. they have overworked and they haven't um, hit the stop button when they needed to. So I think that's a great example of um, a situation I was in where I I, I took it to be my own weakness when yeah. really it was the dysfunction of the organization that I was operating within. And and I, I would really like women to understand that these issues are very important, that they are to be discussed. And, and we should feel comfortable um, and foster a culture where we can have these discussions about what, what is going on at work and how it's affecting our bodies. And it's normal. I think that's the reality, that this isn't something that only happens to a few people I'm sure that there'll be many people listening to this that will have been in in similar situations because it's your body's response to stress how am I going to best protect myself and previously you mentioned about the the seasons and and education and and businesses not really understanding and even women not really understanding their own bodies so I guess one of my questions to you is what does the workplace of the future look like for women? And I know you're working in this space at the moment. So you're going to be able to tell me a little bit about what you're doing and, and your plans to kind of help mitigate and improve productivity for women and also improve the workplace generally. So tell me a little bit about what you're doing and how this addresses this major issue that we've spoken about today. Absolutely. So I have devised, along with a treasured co-founder, a biorhythmic optimization tool in the form of an app, which is going to enable women to better sustain themselves in the workplace. It's called Ovluna. Okay. Um, and we've got uh, we've got as far as a landing page um, and a prototype at www.ovluna.com. 
And it is a beautiful landing page, oh. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, for women, this is going to optimise their productivity, improve their performance and reduce the risk of burnout. The cumulative effect will be um, their well-being and a better workplace experience. This will be an opportunity for them to leverage the power of their natural bodily rhythms and all of the benefits that come with it. For employers and organisations, they're going to be able to capture and regain the lost productivity as, of course, a direct benefit to their revenues. Of course. They're going to be able to reduce those health insurance claims as yeah. a direct benefit to costs. Yeah. And they're going to be able to ensure the continuity and stability of women within their workforce, which is great for pulling women up into management. Yeah. And transforming the workplace culture to be a more open um, accepting environment which is inclusive for everybody and the continuity is the sustainability of any organization right that organization is going to remain sustainable and the women that are working within it are going to be able to deliver their jobs at the top level performance for as long as they possibly can i very much hope so i, I think it goes back to that um that point that we discussed um, at the very first question, uh, we talked about this predominance of testosterone in the decision-making pool. Yeah. Um, if we can sustain women better across the long term of their careers in the workplace through those many promotions that they need to have an opportunity of applying for the C-suite, the boardrooms, um, if we can sustain them so that there's more women in the candidacy pool for those top level positions, we've got a better chance of balancing out the testosterone with progesterone and estrogen yeah. <laughs> um, at senior levels of leadership. And, and the, the ripple effect that this will have for us, um, Ellis, not just in our commercial sector, but society at large, in education, um, in government, we're going to be taking more sustainable decisions, uh, avoiding those financial crashes and those tech bubbles and, and planning for our future um, as a carbon-free country. This is really, really important stuff and uh, women's bodies sit right at the heart of it. So generally just a, a better society and a better economy. And it's really interesting what you're talking because we're certainly seeing Achilles because of a lot of the organisations that we work with have large, complex supply chains. For them, they need to understand what their suppliers are doing. So they ask them the questions. And more and more, we're seeing questions, obviously, on EDI generally. But in particular, asking what is the makeup of your board? How many women are in leadership roles within your organization? And I think that that's a great step to be asking the questions so you understand who's which individuals are in these leadership roles but I think with of Luna and what you're trying to pitch is how do we not just get the women in the roles but how do we really optimize their performance and I think that that is that is really important we don't want this to be a box ticking we have women in leadership this is be how do we ensure that those women are performing to their highest potential and I just want to say thank you. Thank you for sharing this. It's been incredibly eye-opening for me. There's loads that I've learned. And I think breaking in particular the the four seasons and breaking it down in that way, I hope will give people a, a better understanding of, of how it works. But I think that there's some real benefits to organizations and everyone listening can see why this is a good idea. Okay, So thank you very much for sharing everything today with me, Penelope. I hope that... You keep in touch with everything that you're doing with Avluna. I know I will be following it with 
intent and I wish you all the success in the future. Thanks so much Ellis and thank you so much for your allyship in this very worthy cause. Yeah no it's an absolute pleasure thank you very much for joining today. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to what Penelope had to say. I think it's great that she's taking on this challenge or this issue that we face in the workplace. It's not something that I have a great deal of knowledge on, but it's something that I need to be learning more about. And I appreciate the fact that Penelope shared her story so openly. And it's really positive to hear about what she's actually going to be doing about this in months and years to come. So if you do want to learn more about Ovluna, then please feel free to get in touch with myself and I'm sure Penelope would be open to a conversation. Or you can also visit their website at www.ovluna.com and join the waitlist. I think this is a really important topic and I think we should all be sharing our experiences or, or thoughts on it. And I know that over the next 12 months, Penelope will be sharing more of this. So go and find her on LinkedIn. And if I don't hear from you, I hope you learned something from this conversation. Enjoy the rest of your day and I hope you're listening next time. Take care. Bye-bye.